Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it says, Anxiety weighs down the heart. And then it says, A good word cheers it up. But what if you couldn't find a good word? That's the problem that Sonia Kisa had in 2006, working as a 28-year-old translator in Toronto. She was feeling depressed. She was feeling overwhelmed. And none of the words she knew in any of the languages she spoke, whether it's French, English, or German, were giving her any kind of relief. So she decided to create her own language, something simple to ease her mind and clarify her thoughts. And she called the language Toki Pona, which is defined as good language. And she gave it just 120 words in that language. For example, three words that you can use to put together, ale, li, pona, when constructed means everything will be okay. This new language helped her to grow and to ease her mind. And then, much to her surprise, the language took off. There are now more than 5,000 Toki Pona speakers, people who write songs, who write poems, who chat in that language. And actually, it's all part of a surprising and strange surge in new languages. Back in the day, only Star Trek-loving Klingon or Romulan imitators would develop their own language, where readers of J.R.R. Tolkien fans got excited about invented vocabulary. But now, something called constructive languages are, are flourishing on the internet and, and creeping into the real world. A website called conlang, C-O-N-L-A-N-G dot O-R-G, is set up to introduce people to developing constructive languages. Of course, conlang is short for constructed languages, and the number varies, but there's about 300 created languages through that site. Today's passage from Matthew is, is full of new vocabulary including the words that Simon Peter speaks to Jesus in a constructed language. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. From start to finish, this passage presents a, a fresh language for our faithfulness, one that can continue to give us the new words that we need. Oddly enough, this verbal creativity begins on location. The story starts with Jesus entering the district of Caesarea Philippi, about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. The spot has gone through a lot of name changes of its own, changing from a, a Canaanite site for the worship of Baal into a, a place called Peneus, where the Greek god Pan was worshipped. Then Herod the Great came on the scene, and he built a temple to Caesar Augustus. And later, Herod's son Philip enlarged the town and renamed it after Tiberius Caesar and himself. That's how the name of the district became Caesarea Philippi. It marked a partnership between Caesar and Philip in, in true constructed language fashion. But does this really matter? I mean, Matthew thought so. I mean, he took the time to mention the name of the place of Peter's confession. 
unlike his fellow gospel writer, Luke. According to one New Testament professor, Matthew probably wished to emphasize that Peter's confession took place in a spot with both Jewish and pagan association. It matters to Matthew that Peter calls Jesus the Messiah in the shadow of the Roman temple, in a place where pagans and Jews had worshipped gods for centuries. Laboring, labeling Jesus as the Messiah is a real slap in the face to all the false messiahs who were revered on that particular spot. Herod the Great, Caesar Augustus, Philip, Tiberius Caesar, Caesarea Philippi, that's, that's a spot with constructed language significance. Certainly it's a risky place for Peter to call Jesus Messiah. Maybe even a, a dangerous place. The name Caesarea doesn't reduce anxiety like the invented language that Sonia came up with. And actually, anxiety is increased with the name Caesarea. A few years later, Roman troops returned to Caesarea after destroying the city of Jerusalem. And they threw some of their Jewish captives to the wild animals. Certainly not a very kind and gentle community, to say the least. We have our own Caesarea Philippi's around us. Dangerous and risky places. And all of which we're challenged to take a stand of faith in the middle of. They include the Caesarea of high school, where cliques are way more hurtful than those in any movie or TV show about high school. The Caesarea of college, where hookups and hard partying can do lifelong damage. The Caesarea of the workplace, where cutthroat competition leaves people out in the cold. The Caesarea of politics, where winning elections has become more important than public service. Or the Caesarea of retirement, where people feel powerless, forgotten, and ignored. Caesarea Philippi is still a place with constructed language significance. It is in this anxious and risky and dangerous location that we are challenged to respond to the call of Christ. Jesus says to his followers in the shadow of the Roman temple, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I'm sure the disciples looked around nervously making sure there weren't any well-armed soldiers around and then they answered. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. The disciples figure they can't get arrested for simply pointing out what other people are saying. But then Jesus pushed them. He zeroed in on the heart of the question. But who do you say that I am? Jesus is addressing not just one disciple with the word you, but is speaking to all of them in the second person plural. Below the Mason-Dixon line, this probably would have been translated, but who do you all say that I am? Only one of them. Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter calls Jesus Messiah, and this is, this is bold. This is bold, constructive language confession that he's offering the Messiah is the anointed one, the long-awaited king who is expected to save his people from oppression. Jesus is the son of the living God, not the son of dead God like Baal or Pan or Caesar Augustus. This confession of Peter is not polite church talk. It's courageous and it's a political statement. Talk like that 
could get you killed. Now we can be thankful we don't live in a country where it is dangerous to confess that Jesus is the Messiah, but there's still plenty of Christian constructed language that remains radical, radically countercultural, like the language of generosity in a world filled with self-interest, the language of forgiveness in a world of retaliation and revenge. The language of compassion in a world of harsh judgment. The language of encouragement in a world of malicious gossip. The language of worship and praise in a world of relentless criticism and complaint. This is the kinds of languages we are challenged to speak today. The constructive language of faithful discipleship. It is a bold and surprising as the words of Peter in the district of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is excited by what he's hearing. And he says, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus responds to the language of Peter with some new words of his own. You are Petros, Peter. On this Petra, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus says that Peter is the the foundation stone on which he will build the new community. Notice it is Jesus who builds the church. Peter is simply a part of the foundation. Jesus continues to have an an active role in constructing the community as a, a spiritual house. And there will be many living stones a part of it. Just like Peter writes in his first letter, you are also like living stones. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter is the rock, and each one of us is a living stone. The house that Jesus began to build with Peter continues to be constructed, and the gates of death have not prevailed over it. The word that's used for the church in this passage is ecclesia, a term used only twice in the Gospels. It's another example of constructed language, a piece of vocabulary invented to describe the new community. Ecclesia, that we translate as church, literally means those who are called out. Together, these words provide us with a rich new language for our discipleship. For example, if we say Caesarea Philippi is any risky and dangerous location where we are challenged to respond to Christ. Or we say Jesus the Messiah is the king we are invited to serve using countercultural words and actions. Or Peter the Rock is our foundation in the church, the ecclesia, the called out collection of living stones. This constructed language is going to be surprising to some and it will fill others with anxiety. There's nothing comfortable or calming about walking into a risky location, taking a a position that's counter to the culture and joining with others in the work of building the community. For those who dare to speak this language, Jesus promises the power of death will not be victorious. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus to Peter. I will give you access to my life-giving and death-destroying teachings. Who do you say the Son of Man is? That's a wonderful question for us today. Because it really is the defining question for our lives each and every day. Why do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? Think about it for a moment. To a certain extent, this question will determine your values, many of your attitudes, as well as your general orientation towards life. If you believe Jesus was simply a great teacher like Buddha or Confucius, or simply the leader of one of the world's great religions, or even a fascinating historical figure like Mahatma Gandhi, that's one thing. But if you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, that, that is quite a different thing. If he is the Son of God, then he has a claim over our lives. So who do you say the Son of Man is? Forgive me for putting you on the spot today, but how would you answer that question that Peter and the rest of the disciples were asked? Who do you say the Son of Man is? This is probably the most important question in our lives. Why? Because how you answer it will determine to a great extent how you live your life. So what does it mean to say that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? What does it mean to say that Jesus Christ is Lord over your life? It means that we bow down before him and not ourselves. It means that the most important determinant in our lives is how we live it, is our faith in him. It is Christ to whom we look daily for guidance, not to our own desires or the desires of those around us. To say that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives is to acknowledge that we have become a part of Christ's family, a brother or a sister. And that makes all the difference in how we live our lives. So what say you? Who do you say that Jesus is? I would encourage you not to answer off the top of your head. Look deep into your heart this whole week. Is he your Messiah? Is he your Savior? Is he your teacher? The Son of the living God? Is he the Lord of your life? Or not? Amen. Thank you.